Hi everyone. For those of you who were fortunate enough to listen to part one of this podcast recording, an interview with Andrew Cook, General Counsel at Fnatic, we're talking about all things esports, games, the metaverse, tech, and on this episode, we'll also be talking about building an in-house legal team. Andrew Cook, General Counsel at Fnatic, thank you very much for joining us. No problem. Right, so let's get into it. So, So we've talked a lot already about the various different things that sort of that Fnatic does within esports and, and the sort of the variety of things that I think come across your desk probably, whether it's from NFTs to hardware to doing partnership deals, whatever it might be. But to, to almost look at something from the opposite perspective, um, when we started working in esports sort of several years ago, sort of 2013, 2014, from a regulatory perspective, esports was a lot more. It was a lot more like the Wild West than it is today. So even some of the some of the more established tournaments, sort of their regulatory structures were were, were often fairly immature. Um, and in terms of what's happened, well, at least my, my perspective on what's happened is that actually, in those big franchise leagues and actually in the tier below as well, there's been greater consolidation around a an organised calendar of events, but also a sort of more sophisticated and stable regulatory structure, which in turn makes those tournaments more investable, uh, those tournaments and the teams that play in the more investable propositions, mm. particularly to non-endemic brands. And in your time at Fnatic so far, is that sort of your perception as well, that, that, that the trend is towards a more sort of sophisticated regulatory structure? And do you think actually that the major leagues that you work in are still very much works in progress and evolving over time and, and sort of progressing into very iterative steps? Well, there's been some quite significant shifts during the last couple of years in lots of leading games, and it's still quite dynamic. So I would, I suppose I, my, my, my sort of initial view is we're not, a, a, like, the plates are not fully settled on the, yeah. on the planet. Right, they're still all floating around and crashing into each other, so you don't have those kind of formed land masses uh, fully. There are some exceptions to that, which I'll come on to in a minute. In a minute. So if I think about, uh, you know, Rainbow Six has completely changed its uh, sort of competition structure within the last couple of years. Um, ESL Pro League has emerged within the last couple of years as the kind of premier Counter Strike product. It's now going through an RFP process to bring in sort of new participants in the league. Um, it's also evolving its sort of governance structure with um, Alex Inglot, who's the commissioner, sort of driving a lot of that with the executive board in ESL. So they're trying to think actively about how to make that a better and more investable product, which is, which I suppose goes to prove your point that there is, they are actually thinking about it. EA is starting to make moves with FIFA. Um, you know, there, there are these changes. Of course, the sort of the daddy of them all uh, in this regard is Riot, which is still the gold standard um, in terms of fully integrated, fully thought through um, sort of tournament organization, league deployment, uh, clear offering to uh, partners. Like one of the biggest challenges for me in Counter-Strike is it's very difficult, which is a game that I really enjoy watching and I play, is it's very difficult for teams, for, for sponsors to say, these are the best two teams in the world and whoever wins this will will be the recognised as the best team of Counter-Strike. Because you can point them towards the HLTV rankings, and but but that doesn't mean anything to anybody. When you see the World Championships of the League of Legends and you get to the final and you see that trophy hoist, that's the best League of Te- Legends team in the world. And there's a pyramid below it all and everyone can say that that's the case. And that's why it's such a wealthy esport. 
Like, is everyone just understands that structure? If I was going to be, and I've, I've said this to Riot before, I think one of the challenges when you're the absolute best is to continue to, and it, from that perspective, is to continue to evolve your product and to look for areas where you may not necessarily feel that you're not strong now, but but events may move underneath your feet, right? So again, not to talk conceptually, for me, when we talk about competitive integrity in esports, for example, which is fully not a settled thing in my view, we very often talk about anti-doping, we talk about uh, multi-team ownership issues, and we talk obviously we talk about um, gambling and, and match fixing and so on. There are settled sort of regulatory rules around those kind of things, broadly speaking. At least everybody understands that we shouldn't be doing them, and there are, there should be very strict consequences for any player or team that does get involved in those kind of things. Um, I don't think those structural responses to those kind of things are actually really fully directed at maturing esports in a way that it could and should now be um, evolved. And that's why for me, safeguarding is such a critical issue because safeguarding is a, or is, is generally speaking, a behavioral issue, right? You have to have an environment within the team where there's perhaps some moral or ethical flexibility, right? There is, you don't have the processes in place to stop somebody coming in and starting to uh, sort of move because Safeguarding offences don't occur, just someone comes in and bang, you have a safeguarding issue. The, yeah. the sort of the research or, or past experience indicates that it happens over a period of time, particularly obviously in things like grooming offences. So you also have to not be, you know, you, can, you, you need to be able to have the sophistication to be able to spot the offence before it occurs and deal with it and all those kind of things. I would say, given the number of young people that engage with esports as a whole, given the responsibility and the range of tournament organizers to those kind of young people, that those kind of things are where we ought to be focusing. And I think there can be a little bit of self-satisfaction, smugness, however you want to call it. And we're, we're doing all this thing great. Like everybody's invest, investing in all these teams wonderfully. So therefore everything must be perfect. And as we know from how COVID affects the, affected the Premier League and ERL teams, it only takes yeah. one thing. Like I'm, I'm not talking about COVID is just like a little thing. Clearly it's not but it pulls away the emperor's clothes, right? And all of a sudden you see how many teams are actually naked in that in those circumstances, or the tide goes out and um, you know, fewer wearing swimming trunks, whatever the analogy is you want to use. But it's that kind of thing that, that creates that kind of shift. And I think for esports, what we don't want to see, and certainly what I don't want to see, is a crisis come up where actually the esports lack of maturity in relation to risk issues, let's say, or legal issues of this nature, governance issues, organizational issues, regulatory issues, it, we, we are shown not to have done all of the thinking in that regard. Mm -hmm. um, and, but sometimes that's what it takes. But um, that, that, for me, would be the area of key development. I think we need those plates to form. We need there to be more games with a longer history of kind of steady operations and then we need to think proactively around issues which may not be a regulatory concern now. So I've talked about safeguarding because obviously that's something where we, 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 we have sort of pushed the needle forward. But also think about competition law, right? I think about unionization um, for esports pros and how we're going to respond to that. Um, all those kind of things. Right now, because esports is so resistant to, let's say, world governing body type oversight. And there are loads of reasons for that, which we don't necessarily get into, but I don't see there being 
a world governing body for esports anytime soon. So mm -hmm. you're going to still need to see either teams getting together and pushing it, which is what we're trying to do with safeguarding, developers being proactive and saying, okay, we almost need to get together the leading teams in the space and ask them what the issues are. And we try to evolve as the LEC teams, we try to evolve the relationship with Riot in order to create that kind of almost symposium approach to you know, how we evolve the space. And then developers accepting that drawing best practice, sorry, tournament organizers and developers accepting that drawing best practice from other developers is not a bad thing, right? To accept that you can learn lessons, not just anymore from traditional sport, but also from how other esports operators do things. I think that's also um, sort of key to the development process as well. No, absolutely. I mean, I was going to ask, well, my, ne my next question was actually going to be on safeguarding. So again, you've done a brilliant job at presaging my, my, my list of questions, but um, it's interesting. So, 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 I mean, a lot of organizations, I think, would approach safeguarding from a sort of internal risk management perspective. You know, we need to make sure our houses in order should an, should an, should an issue arise. But Fnatic's view of the world was very much, um, we need to do that for, the, for that reason, and because it's the right thing to do in and of itself, but also because we want to project out to the industry that, look, you all need to be doing this because it's a, a responsibility we have, yeah. first and foremost, but also... Um, because it, it, the industry needs to be protected from these sorts of issues more yes. broadly for the for, for the success of everyone, effectively. The response to our safe, safeguarding thing has been has been quite interesting from that standpoint because a lot of the I mean it's not you don't deal with it right it's a journey. We started to work on this a couple of years ago, and so in terms of our internal discussions around it, the launch of the policy publicly is almost the next phase of our approach to it, which is to recognize that our ability to manage safeguarding risk is capped by esports ability to manage safeguarding risk effectively. Mm -hmm. right? So for us going like talking about safeguarding externally was the necessary next step of our own internal uh, implementation, if that makes sense. But what's been really interesting about it is how people have responded to us launching it publicly, which is to assume that we've had a massive safeguarding incident. And, and now we need to be kind of on the front foot about it before that safeguarding incident comes out into public. Yeah. So I did, a, I did an interview with a newspaper in the US a couple of weeks ago. And the reporter, his first question was, so this safeguarding, is this like dealing with rape or are you trying to like shut down toxicity in gaming or what's the, what's the story kind of thing? And you're like, wow. You know, like, and so that's really, like, are those the first two places that you go to when you see safeguarding risk. He also said, do you guys not want to win anymore? Because one of the things that we talk about is, right, it was a, it was a, very, it was a very, it was kind of interesting from that perspective that the person took that angle. This idea that by talking about player welfare and, 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 and understanding that even though you might be a 16-year-old millionaire, you're still a 16-year-old, right? Yeah. And trying to avoid harm in, in in our workplace towards children, you know, young people, adults at risk, that you're somehow diminishing your ability to create a performance environment, right? Because the only for for people who have this kind of mindset, you know, winning it's like the, that film Whiplash, right? Which I'm sure you you've, you'll have seen, right? Where 
this, this idea that you need to be pushed to an extreme place, the ends justify the means, it doesn't matter so long as you hoist that trophy, who gets squashed along the way. If, you know, if the experiences of gymnastics and football tell us anything, it should be that that approach is, we, we cannot accept that, that is the only way to create the performance environment. But I find it really interesting that they, these are the kind of things that people reach for, which for me just goes to prove the point of what we're trying to achieve and how critical it is that we talk about these issues publicly as a, as a sort of like a leading team, as a team that's prepared, like that's big and ugly enough to talk about these things yeah. in an open way. We will subsequently talk about um, what has happened since we've launched that safeguarding policy. Because for me, if we launch it, like any whistle form of whistleblowing or or kind of disclosure, public disclosure policy that you have, we also have our um, stand-up policy, which is how we encourage people to, let's say, um, make complaints about uh, ethical concerns they might have about uh, about fanatic to to us. If you launch those kind of channels. And you talk publicly about those kind of things, and absolutely nothing comes out of those things. For me, that is not good news. Mm -hmm. right? What that means is either your people don't understand their their, their duties to, to to talk to you. They don't feel that they can talk to you for some other reason, right? So they feel that there will be retribution or something of those kind of lines. I want people. We want people uh, to report, which is why report is one of the five R's that we include within our safeguarding policy. That that regularly the flow of information even if it's just i've seen this and i'm worried about it or this might not even be a thing but i noticed this it could be anything it could be a light switch in a gaming house that when you switch it you get a little electric shock for me that's still a safeguarding incident like those kind of things i would rather know about because ultimately they go to if we're getting into that level of detail then we are where we need to be in terms of creating a performance environment Brilliant. That's really interesting. I want to ask you two final questions just about your experience um, coming into Fanatica's first um, in-house council. Mm. Um, so, I mean, it's, as you say, it, it's a sort of long established esports or with great pedigree, won all sorts of things, active in lots of games, does all these different things, but you were their first um, general council. And so are you able just to, to talk about, um, just I know it's a difficult question to answer, answer briefly, but from when you sort of came in on day one, how the um, how, how you approached sort of building the legal structure within the organisation. Yeah. Um, how were you? And how were you? Interestingly, actually, how were you received as well, and um, by the business when you first joined? That's a good. That's a great question because I think the two things are linked. Hmm. So. For any, this goes back to the question of what value do you offer as a lawyer, right? And there's basically a spectrum for in-house counsel. Uh, at one end, you're a substitute for external counsel that comes with a capped cost, right? So you do all the same things that external counsel does, but there's no um, hourly rate anymore. It's just a fixed fee. So it's like a yield plan. I'm just going to engage this person to sit in the office and do all that sort of same sort of stuff but just cheaper and I can sweat them harder and maybe push them into some positions that external counsel wouldn't be able to get to. There's that end. And at the other end, there's, you're not actually here to do contracts. You're here to manage risk, right? So what you do in fact is plan risk in the long term, and the deliverables that you generate are just one aspect of that. So that's ideally where you want to get to. So at one end, 
you've got an incentive to create drama as an, in, as a, as an internal counsel because you want to get the credit, right? So you want to show you're doing these great deliverables, you've saved the day, all this kind of stuff. At the other end, the absence of drama is the correct indicator of your success because you're predicting things in the long term. You're taking action today to stop drama happening tomorrow. You're avoiding risks happening. And when risks do happen, you have enough time to deal with it because it's not about your output, right? It's not about the number of deliverables you're creating. It's about the positive outcomes that you're creating, okay? So two very different uh, ends of the spectrum. You want to be obviously at this end here, the risk management uh, point rather than the deliverables point. Because when you read about, I saw a statistic today that I think it's 70% of uh, lawyers are still um, feeling undervalued at work. Um, I'll, I'll, try, I'll try and remember that, that more accurately, but ultimately there's a lot of dissatisfied lawyers out there. I think in-house, it tends to be the people who are sitting at this first end of the spectrum. Right. You're the last to know. You're always working reactively. You know, it's just like we need this deliverable now. The idea that like the reason that you're here is to do this more quickly and cheaply and external cancel, so get on with it kind of thing. Like that yeah. sort of lawyer is always going to be sat. So that's what we want to avoid. So when I'm coming into this kind of uh, environment, the first thing to understand is where do people sit on that spectrum? How do they see you in terms of returning your value? Because if the entire team is over here at the, you're just here to do it more cheaply than external counsel end, your ability to offer value is going to be different, right? You're only ever going to be able to, if you're only ever going to be judged by your outcomes, and part of my hiring process, I'm testing continually to find out where people are on that process. Because if it, ultimately, if everybody's at this end where it's just like, we just need a lawyer because we need to cut costs, right? Yeah. And quite often, this is why you see general counsels not wanting to report to the CFOs that may be indicative of, of being at this end of the spectrum you would you don't join that company if you're if you're a lawyer you're but you're, be, you're, you're better than that don't join that company right so i was trying to avoid that but understanding that actually there's a lot of people in fanatic who were arranged at the right end of the spectrum okay so straight away you can come in what you're deploying then is a strategic plan and the strategic plan is towards that maturity so just like risk you can't focus on all risk all the time you have to prioritize the way i worked where I set up my plan was to say, right, the six areas where we really want to improve our maturity, right? And they will have these outcomes. So what we're going to do is we're constantly going to be record, reporting against maturity, so outcomes rather than inputs. So again, how you set up your KPIs, how you set up your, you know, your metrics, all then relate to maturity rather than things like throughput, uh, price, uh, spend. Those are bad metrics. Those are the kind of metrics that make everyone think you're only there to do it more cheaply and efficiently than external counsel. That's not what we're here to do. We're here to mature risk. So you set up those verticals. And then over the last two years, all I've done is to evolve those verticals. So we set them up right. Again, during the interview process, we're looking into the areas where people feel like Fnatic might be lagging behind. There might be an opportunity or there might be somewhere where we can invest more targeted resources to be even better at something, which is even which is like the ideal state. So we build those six verticals. What that then does is it provides the, I've called it before, the baseline for your work. So in a band, you need your, you know, you need your drummers, you need your uh, guitarist, you need your lead singers, but somebody has to be keeping time. And so that work becomes the way in which you keep time. So it, whenever anybody's not working on something that's kind of urgent and important or ideally 
just important rather than urgent. That's what they're working on. They're creating this maturity. And of course, then you can create all of your goals, all of your waypoints by reference to that plan. And over time, like one of the things that I really like to do with the team is look back and say, what have we achieved in the last month, the last three months, or whatever? It's always referable to this plan. And, and because it's always building up, you see massive gains in terms of you know maturity and so on over time because you're constantly working on the same stuff. Yeah. Having that sense of I know what it is that I'm doing day to day also facilitates meaning, which again a lot of is is, is missing from a lot of uh, lawyers' lives. I think they don't really understand why it is they're doing the things that they're doing. I think that's tremendously sad. I think it, it gives up value, um, but it also creates time for us to work on cool things. So you know, if we know what we're going to need to need to be doing in order to respond to the business, we can do loads of cool things in tech. So. Our automation tools, our bots, like all that kind of stuff, um, we have time to, to create that. We also have time to be reactive when we need to be reactive. So if something comes up which is you know important and needs to be dealt with, we have the capacity to be able to, to do it because yeah. not you know the, the drama isn't the key part of our of our lives. It's that we're 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 not having to invest reactively all the time. We're planning our spend much more carefully, and my experience is that creates this idea, this kind of calmness and approachability, which also then engenders a positive relationship with the team. And we so, have another virtuous circle. Exactly. One of the things that we that we track quite quite carefully is is customer satisfaction. Right. We want the team to feel like we're doing a great job. I want them to feel like we're acting ethically. I want them to feel like we're acting responsibly. And if we can if we can do that and and continually mature the business, then you know, we're, we're, we're working in the right way. So I suppose, what, how do you boil that down? I think if you're joining a business, particularly as a first lawyer, it's not the first time I've been the first lawyer in a business. So I've had a, some hard lessons in terms of how to evolve this. Um, understand how your client looks at why you're there. If you don't understand why your client thinks that you're there, then you're not going to create solutions that work for your clients. So that's, that's the first thing. The second thing is listen to or understand where the business is going strategically and build long-term plans that, that connect with that strategic plan. So I said that for me, those are the risk verticals, but in other businesses, they might be something entirely different. So uh, I don't want to speculate too much, but anyway, stick to the verticals, have a maturity plan that links to the verticals and use that to create your goals. And then regularly have a plan to look back and look at the wins that you've created. Because when you, I think particularly when you're working in a very fast scaling business or a business that has high volume, we have hundreds of matters ongoing at any one time. Right now, there's myself, a, a trainee, and we have an associate working with us on something specific. Exceptionally capable young lawyers, like I, the, the team, I'm blessed with the team that I work with. They're fantastic. But they're working very hard all the time. You've got to be able to look back and say, this is what we've done. But all of that stuff that we, we, you know, we've, we've been churning through we said we would do it, we did it, and this has been the impact on the business, and this, is, and this will continue to be on the, the impact on the business if we keep working positively in this direction. You have to do that because the business is not going to give you the, the, the big clap on the back for the wins that you're going to create because you're not creating drama to have to be able to you know, create that diving catch. So as a team, you have to be satisfied with what it is that you're bringing. But you can do that if you target it right and you deliver against it right. So 
that was you asked for a short answer again i would refer you back to my very first opening <laughs> which is that short answers unfortunately are not possible no wait, wait, and actually again for, for the for the for the third and final time you've actually managed to, to second guess my next my final question as well so so we i don't even need to say it um but that was that was brilliant andy thank you very much um like we could have easily talked for several hours more um but those those insights on esports gaming the metaverse tech and building a legal team i think are, are, are really really fascinating and thank you so much for, for for giving up your time to us um needless to say if anyone has any questions for andy uh, then please do drop us a line um and um and w- without wanting to speak for him i think he'd, he'd be happy to be put in touch um i would Brilliant. And for anything else, uh, games, esports, sport, media, entertainment, tech related, please do check out Media Rights. Thanks very much, Andy, again. No problem at all.